Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night nor the arrow that flies by day nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you make the Most High your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in, your, in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honour him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to church. If you're new, I'm Scott, one of the ministers uh, here, and uh, I'll be uh, sharing God's word with you uh, today. Uh, you know, January in Port Macquarie Church is um, it's just really a time of flux, isn't it? We don't never know quite what's going to happen. And uh, so if you missed out on a bulletin today on your way in, then it just seems like the, the, the person who printed them out just didn't have enough faith, did he? And uh, so I, <clears throat> that's me. <laughs> um, but uh, another good, good thing about January is uh, that with all the Bible studies, you know, that have, um, and youth groups and so on, not running over January, uh, it means that there's a, there's a bit of free time. And if you're, uh, you're free on Wednesday night, um, we're just running this summer Bible study group for three weeks. Uh, we're going to be looking at the Psalms, as Benjamin said. Um, come along. If you're not doing anything else, come along. Uh, no commitment needed and it finishes after three weeks. But uh, why not uh, spend time in God's word on Wednesday night, um, 7.30. I'll be here and I'll look forward to seeing some of you as well. But uh, let's get into God's word now. But before we do, uh, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this uh, amazing passage from scripture and uh, we pray that uh, by your word and your spirit that you would be opening our minds and our hearts, uh, helping us to be those who find our refuge uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ and live confidently uh, knowing of your uh, protection for us, uh, that you will um, keep us until that day 
of salvation. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. There will be no safer place in the world. Um, this was a, a declaration which was made by the Deputy Mayor of Paris uh, last month, who is also the official in charge of sport, which is why uh, he was the one who gave this assurance to the world, because in the year 2024, this is the year of the Paris Olympic Games. The city, he said, and I quote, is confident to guarantee safety. Now, that's great news, isn't it? That's terrific news, isn't it? Because uh, I, I want to feel safe, don't you? I want to be safe. And if you want to be perfectly safe this year, what do, we, what do you need to do? You need to go to, to Paris. <laughs> because it's not only the city of love and the city of the lights, it's, it's also the city where your safety is guaranteed. The personal assurance of the Deputy Mayor of Paris. But it makes you wonder why he thought that he had to give that assurance. You know, look, he's just a wild guess, but maybe, just maybe, it had something to do with an unprovoked and violent and deadly attack that had just occurred uh, just near the Eiffel Tower. Um, safety is something which we all need, isn't it? Because we live in a world which is full of risks, full of threats, uh, full of dangers, uh, of, of crime, yes, but... Also, threats and dangers of, of different sorts, of a variety of sorts, like poverty, like sickness, like uh, a, a multitude, immeasurable adversities that we face in this world. And despite our best efforts, our laws, our medicines, our economic abilities, there's actually no safe haven. There's no true guarantee of safety. And then there are dangers which most people simply ignore. Because we don't just live in a physical world, do we? We live in a spiritual world. A world of uh, spiritual powers, of temptations, of judgments. A, a world of spiritual dangers. Uh, which is why Psalm 91, our passage today, you might want to have it open in front of you, is so valuable. Now, this is a psalm which is well known uh, to many Christians, not just because of the, uh, a, a classic missionary biography by Elizabeth Elliot that uh, gets its title from uh, verse 1, Shadow of the Almighty, but also because it's a psalm which actually uh, talks about angels and about angels guarding us. But it's the first verse um, which really sets the scene. Because in all of the dangers of life, the, the psalmist has something to say. He has something to say about being safe, about being truly safe. Check it out, verse 1. He who dwells in the shadow of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. Now, we don't know who wrote this psalm. We're not told who wrote the psalm. But what we do know is that the author of this psalm understood. He understood the threats which uh, God's people experience and the, and the fears which those threats evoke. And so as great as those threats may be, 
What he wants us to know is that God is greater. Uh, it's in those verses, isn't it? In, in how he refers to God in different ways, just in those first couple of verses. Uh, he, God, he says, is the most high. The most high. Now, that, that puts any um, threat in its place, doesn't it? He is the most high. Uh, he is the almighty. This is the name by which God uh, revealed himself to, uh, uh, to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and the name by which he, he sustained them. He is the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, uh, which uh, in, in the original it's actually something like Yahweh. This is the, the personal name, the personal name of God by which he revealed himself to Moses. And he's also personal to the psalmist, who knows him not just as the God, but as my God, my God in whom I trust. God is powerful. God is personal. And because he is so powerful and, and personal, he's also the shelter, he's also my refuge, he's also my fortress. In fact, you can find shelter simply by being, by standing in his shadow. That is how powerful he is. Now, I guess that um, some of us here have sometimes found ourselves in dangerous situations. Have you ever found yourself in a dangerous situation where you felt helpless to do anything about it? Well, live long enough and you'll experience that. And then actually being helped by someone, someone who has come and rescued you and you have found safety, you have found rest, you have found security. And the sensation that you experience is one of, well, of great relief, isn't it? Great relief. Well, how much greater in times of trouble to find a shelter, a refuge, a fortress in the arms of the Most High, God Almighty. And life has many troubles, doesn't it? Uh, some of which the psalmist lists for us in verses 3 through to 8, where he uses images which um, ancient people could, uh, could readily identify with and relate to. I mean, they lived in an agricultural society... Uh, they lived in a society where there were often the battles of wars. They lived in a society where deadly sicknesses could sweep through entire communities. Uh, not that we know anything about that in the last few years, hey. But these are physical images which can also represent, be representative of other types of dangers. For example, in verse 3. Uh, surely he will save you from the foulest snare and from deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. Now, there are images there of, uh, of sickness, of, um, of military defence and of birds. That's interesting, isn't it? Uh, the, the fowler's snare. You know, a fowler 
uh, is a, a person who uses traps to, um, to catch wild birds um, for food, for eating. Um, like, for example, this one. <clears throat> See that? There is a bird which is trapped in a fowler's snare. Now, when you think about it, uh, is God concerned that his people are going to get caught in bird traps? <laughs> is that God's concern? No, I don't think so. Uh, and what we see uh, in verses 3 through to 8 uh, are some threats which are aggressive and forceful and other threats which rely on darkness and deception, like this one. You know, the fowler's snare, it's, it's, a, it's a trap. It's something which can't be seen and yet it entangles the bird. You know, in, in any conflict, I reckon I'd rather be able to see my enemy, wouldn't you? Because the person who sets a trap to entangle you is more dangerous because they are unseen. And, and here in these verses, the image of a bird is also used to represent not just a danger but also a refuge, like this one here. Now, doesn't it say something about God? It says something about God that as majestic, as most high, as almighty, he is as the creator and the sustainer of the entire universe, of everything which exists, that he's willing to portray himself as something as humble as a mother bird protecting her chicks. Uh, it's an image of a tender care, of, of love and of safety. As God is uh, portrayed to us as a fortress to protect us and as a, uh, as a, as a hen to lovingly um, cover us, to shield us. Now, these are big promises, aren't they? Uh, if you think about what God is promising here, it sounds like, it sounds like because of God, uh, if you trust in him, uh, you will never have any troubles in life. You won't have any problems in life. No sickness, no poverty, no, no enemies. Uh, is that your experience? No, of course not. This is not our experience, and so you have to wonder, well, in what sense are these promises of God more um, uh, better and, and, more and, more, and worth anything more than the assurances given by the deputy mayor of Paris? It sounds like God is promising life in a truly safe place. And yet in the Old Testament, uh, we know that... Um, God's people, you know, even when this psalm was being written, we know that God's people uh, did suffer from plagues of sickness and from defeats in battle and from famines and from pestilence. And in fact, the scriptures said that this would even happen. Uh, in Deuteronomy, for example, in Deuteronomy 28, before Israel had entered into the promised land, God promised that if they fully obeyed him, and if they obeyed his commands, what would happen? They would be abundantly blessed. 
they would be abundantly blessed. They would have large families. They would have many descendants. They would have abundant food and wealth and, and, and they would have victory over all of their enemies. However, if they disobeyed God, rather than blessings, <clears throat> they would be cursed with the opposite, with famine, with plagues, with defeat. Which was true for Israel, <clears throat> as time and time and time again they turned their backs on the Lord. You see, the promised land, it's a, it is a shadow of a reality which is yet to come. A reality which is heaven, where there will be no more sickness, no more suffering, no more death, because the problem of sin has been dealt with. And meanwhile, <clears throat> we live as God's people in, in a fallen world where although the Christian life is often far better, uh, far better than the non-Christian, than living without God, far better, that we also experience the, the same trials, some of the same trials, it's, it's the same dangers, we suffer in the same ways as many other people, and we even suffer for the very fact that we are a Christian as we experience persecution. But with eternity in mind, what is our greatest danger? And what does our refuge look like? You know, in the Old Testament, there were times when God punished the ungodly, but he rescued his people. Um, we saw one of those times just a few weeks ago in, uh, in Genesis. Uh, like when, when God... When God rescued Lot and his daughters from, uh, from Sodom. How did he do that? How did God rescue Lot and his, his family from Sodom? He rescued them by two angels. Two angels. Now, angels are spiritual beings <clears throat> which um, uh, sometimes appear uh, as humans, as ordinary people. So, they don't always float around in the sky with wings, do they? Um, <clears throat> in fact, we're told in Hebrews that some people have um, unknowingly entertained um, angels. Now, you, you reckon that if they had wings and they float around the sky, you'd know that they were angels. <laughs> they're ordinary people. Uh, ordinary people because the word angel means messenger. Uh, when I say ordinary people, they appear as people. They're, 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 they're spirits from the Lord who appear uh, as, as people. Uh, and they, they are messengers, sometimes bringing a message, as did the angels who uh, visited Abraham and then went into Sodom. Uh, or the angels who announced the, uh, the birth of Jesus um, <clears throat> to Mary and Joseph and uh, to the shepherds. And we know that um, angels care for the needs of people as well. Um, remember again from Genesis earlier on, uh, last in December, when Hagar and Ishmael were um, excluded from Abraham's household and they're on a journey towards Egypt and they run out of, uh, of water and they were actually ministered to by an angel at the well. And in verse, verse 11 we see here a promise about angels. 
uh, where the psalmist says, For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift up their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now, uh, what does that mean? Uh, What does that mean for us? Well, some events in the life of Jesus can actually help us here. For example, in Matthew chapter 4, 3 and 4, when Jesus was was baptised, remember that the Father, God the Father spoke from heaven when Jesus was there to be baptised? And do you remember what the words were that were spoken from heaven? The words were, this is my son. Remember that? That actually, these are words, the same words that, that are used in Psalm 2, which is a reference to God's king. This is my son, Psalm 2, in whom I am well pleased. These are words that come from Isaiah 42, which refer to the suffering servant of God, the suffering servant. Jesus is God's son, God's king, and also the suffering servant. How would he be God's king and also suffer? How would he become God's king through suffering? Jesus is baptised and in the very next verse, the very next verse, what happens? The spirit leads Jesus into the desert in order to be, to be tempted by Satan. Now that's not what we'd expect to happen, is it? But it was necessary to happen. It was necessary for just as, as Israel <clears throat> was tempted in the desert and failed to obey God, so too would Jesus be tempted in the desert. And Jesus did the opposite. Now, Satan tempted Jesus to to test God rather than to trust God. And he tempted Jesus to gain kingship without suffering by some other means. He used three temptations, the second of which is relevant to us today Because in the second of his temptations, Satan took Jesus out of the desert and into the city and to the temple and to the top of the temple, to the very highest point of the temple, and then dared him to jump off. And he dared him by quoting today's psalm. By quoting from this psalm. Go on. Jump off. After all, doesn't the psalm say that God will command his angels to lift you up in their hands as if Jesus needed to prove God's faithfulness? But Jesus stood firm, resisting temptation, not once, not twice, but three times. And after the devil left him, do you know what happened? In Matthew 4, verse 11, Angels came and they attended to Jesus. Angels came not to save him from a stunt, but to strengthen him for obedience. And then, three years later, 
not in the desert, but in the garden, in the garden of Gethsemane, knowing what was about to happen to him in great temptation and, and in unthinkable anguish, Jesus prayed. He prayed, asking the Father, if, if there is some, some other means, please take this cup away from me. Then he resolved, but not my will, but yours. Now Jesus could have called on, a, on an entire army of, uh, <clears throat> of angels to rescue him. Instead, an angel appeared and strengthened him. Strengthened him. An angel appeared in the Garden of Gethsemane not to help Jesus to avoid suffering, but to strengthen him to obey the will of God so that he would go to the cross, bear the guilt of our sins, and become for us our shelter, our fortress, our refuge. <clears throat> From the greatest danger of all, the judgment of God, and to give us victory from our greatest enemy. Uh, in Psalm 91, we see that victory. <clears throat> in verse 13, <laughs> where we're told, promise that you will tread on the lion and you'll tread on the cobra, you will trample the great lion and the serpent. Now, I don't recommend you to do that. Um, <clears throat> I don't recommend you go around looking for brown snakes and uh, <laughs> testing God out on this because this is the victory over Satan. This is the victory over that ancient serpent who roars like a lion. Now, so far in the psalm, <clears throat> the psalmist has been doing all of the talking. But in verse 14, the voice changes. Have a look at it, verse 14. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honour him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Wow. It's very relational, isn't it? You know, God is not giving this assurance to the person who is moral. God is not giving this assurance to the person who is religious. God is giving this, these assurances to the person who loves him, who knows him, and who calls on him. It's very personal. It's fulfilled in Jesus. It's there for us as well. And what are the assurances which God is giving? Protection, satisfaction, and salvation. Now, brothers and sisters, the Bible may not answer all of our questions about angels. But it does tell us their purpose. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, angels, we are told, are actually ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. That's us. Ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. That's, that's comforting, don't you think? Because not only <clears throat> does God dwell in us by his spirit, but he also sends his angels 
But the thing about this, though, is we don't know when and how his angels are guarding us, which I think is probably just as well, because if we did know, we'd be tempted to, to worship them, to honour them. They are simply servants. They are not God. We are to worship and serve the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father, through the Spirit. We don't worship them. But they strengthen us so that we might resist our greatest enemy who would prefer for us, he would prefer for you, he would prefer for me to find our security <clears throat> in the false promises of this world rather than in the one who by his death for us and resurrection to life is our shelter, our fortress, our refuge. Now, personal testimonies are great, aren't they? <clears throat> We've had some real beauties in the last uh, few months here in church. Uh, some personal testimonies only need to be quite short as well. And uh, here in uh, Psalm 91, the, uh, the psalmist actually gives his, his personal testimony in verse 2. He's short and straight to the point. It's where he says, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge. That's great, isn't it? It's not just academic, it's personal. The Lord, he has experienced the refuge of the Lord. He is my refuge. But the reason he say that is because he actually wants each one of us to be able to say the same thing. In verse 9, he wants you to be able to say of the Lord, he is my refuge. So is that true of you? Have you put your trust in Jesus? Are you covered from the judgment of God by, by <clears throat> like a mother hen covering her chicks with, with, with the feathers? Does Jesus stand like a shield between you and the judgment of God? Is he the one who has taken your sin and borne it himself on the cross? It's very comforting, isn't it? That we need to only merely trust in Jesus and we can find that, that true shelter, that eternal rest uh, in the Lord God. Do you experience that? Do you experience the, the satisfaction, the security of his salvation? And if so... When you are tempted by the world's promises, be encouraged to stand firm because God has not left you alone. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for these great assurances that we have of, um, uh, of your shelter, of your refuge, of your protection that we have in Jesus. Uh, who himself was ministered to by angels, that he would be obedient to, uh, even to going to the cross for our sakes. And we pray, Father God, for uh, uh, those of us here who perhaps haven't put our trust in Jesus, that we would take these matters um, to heart and you would help us to work these matters through. 
We pray for each one of us that we would stand firm in the time of, of temptation, knowing that um, true security is found in obeying and loving and trusting you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.